In order to study for a final big test in AP chemistry, my son was teaching what he knew in chemistry to me. I got this crash course in college level chemistry yesterday. He was explaining, I think it was solutions to me. And he said, I'm going to give you the basics like we learned in middle school, but then I'm going to tell you why it's not really true. And that's the way I kind of feel about the book of Esther. We learn one fact from this book as children, particularly if we grow up in the church. And the fact that we learn is right and it is important, but it is nowhere near the whole story. There's so much more to the book. Welcome, I'm Michelle Berkey, and this is Praying Scripture, a weekday broadcast where we use God's own words to honor Him and to talk to Him about the things going on in our life and in our world. And this is episode 203. We're going to pray through the opening chapters of the book of Esther. I think we get a chapter and a half today. But before we do that, In changing up the format a bit, we're adding two segments to the show, and we're starting with this personal update, this window into my world. And so uh, those of you listening, particularly listeners to the podcast, uh, instead of those who watch the live stream, probably know very little about me because I don't share much during the show because the the point is the scripture and the prayer. Um, And I've shared a little bit before and after those who are watching the live stream. But in Grace and the Gravel Road News, I did something last week that I haven't done in over two years since the pandemic started. I went to, well, I guess you would call it a conference trade show event. Um, I'm a creative at heart. I used to say maker because I couldn't quite call myself artist, but I've learned to say that I'm an artist at heart. I've dabbled in a lot of creative mediums, collage, paint, mixed media, but I also have always loved fiber arts, specifically quilting. And to explain why would take longer than we have in this segment, but like collage, it has something to do with this building a work of art and a, and a life, this, this analogy of how it uh, relates to our life piece by piece. Even the pieces that seem ugly are a necessary part of the whole, which needs them to be a beautiful work of art. But I'm getting sidetracked. I took my mom to one of the largest quilt shows in the world on Friday, if it may be the largest. We've been there in previous years, but uh, as a last-minute Mother's Day treat, we took off and we went uh, up a couple hours and spent the day um, looking at quilts and walking around the exhibits and stuff. It was more peopling than I have had in a few years, and I'm still not sure I've recovered, but... I am also inspired and I'm filled up emotionally. Seeing art up close and in person is so fulfilling and inspiring to me. We had a ton of fun and I came home with some new tools and a bit of fabric, but mostly it woke up inside of me this hunger to create. And that's something that God's been drawing me back to over and over in the last five years. And sadly, I have been letting other things get in the way. This is not the first time I have said this publicly. And that's essentially disobedience. So once again, I'm going back to the starting block, starting over, making time for creativity, for co-creating with God in art making in all of its forms. And so I give you permission on this live stream or send me an email or text me or whatever, get on here and ask me if I am art making. I give you permission to hold me accountable to that. I think I may also do a social media post, like a studio update for once a week, actually, and that might hold me accountable as well. But how this relates to you is my question for you today. Is there something that God has called you to, whispered you toward, or keeps pulling you back to that you need to pay attention to and obey? 
All right, so that's the first new segment. The second one is just, I wanna talk about prayer for a few moments before we actually spend time praying. Instead of a tip or teaching today, I have a question for you. To kick off this new segment, the question is, what is prayer? How you answer that question will give you some insight into your relationship with God. How you define prayer influences the way you think about it and the way you pray. It will affect how you pray and when you pray. Some people think about it as like a phone a friend lifeline. Some people think about it as a vending machine, as a transactional experience. If I say this or put this in, I will get this back. How we think about it really matters. Prayer is not the same thing as meditation. It's not a passive reflection. It's a direct communication to the God of the universe, to your creator, and the one who loved you so much that he died for you. One simple way to think about it is an active communication between your soul and the one who created your soul. We're not gonna get too deep into this, but it's a question I want you to think about. Consider your prayer life. How would you describe it? What is it like? What are your habits and emotions and thoughts about it? After you've spent some time thinking about that, kind of the state of the union as far as your prayer life goes, how does that indicate what you believe about prayer, about God, and about your relationship? So that's it for the two new parts. Now we'll get to the part that you're familiar with that we do every week. We're going to start with Matthew 19, 26. And it says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, with but with God, all things are possible. This, I don't think we had this in our favorite verses. If we did, <laughs> maybe this will be a, a quick review, but it's one of those verses that we know and is familiar, and I want to use it for worship today. So let's get right to it. Father, what I want to emphasize today from this verse is to recognize that with you, anything is possible. Anything. <laughs> no matter how far-fetched it seems to us, no matter how impossible it might appear to us or whether our circumstances make it seem like likely or not, all things are possible with you. Certainly not everything is going to happen the way we expect. Certainly you aren't going to do all of the impossible things, but I want to use this verse and this concept this morning to awaken this idea uh, this wonder that all things are possible with you. As we go into this new prayer time and we start this new book, I know that I'm really struggling this morning with this idea um, <laughs> of this book because I had not thought through how overwhelming it's going to be to take uh, multiple chapters and do the highlights. And so as we walk through it, help me say specifically the things that need to be said and not say the things that aren't important for this moment in time for us. This is your, uh, your chance we're here to talk to you and I uh, appreciate the opportunity and ask that you would guide us on this route. Open our hearts to what you have to say to each one of us this morning. Amen. All right, we get to start the book of Esther. And as you just heard me say, I had not realized how much <laughs> I've been thinking about this and how much there is, maybe especially in these first couple of chapters, that I want to dig into. And I'm not going to do that. <laughs> We're going to focus on this whole book for the month of May, one episode a week. So we won't be reading the whole thing. We're just going to hit highlights. For the whole book, make sure you're checking out Facebook or Instagram because we're going to be 
uh, hitting every, I think every verse or every uh, a passage that will highlight every verse um, at Grace in the Gravel Road is where you can find that. Plus, I have a ton to say about this book that will help you put it in context and help you understand it. It is much deeper and much richer than we have been kind of traditionally taught. So I'm going to film an introduction video later today. It won't be available right after this. So if you go to this link that I'm about to give you, it won't be there right now. Hopefully it'll be there by tonight or probably more likely tomorrow night. Graceinthegravelroad.link backslash Esther. Graceinthegravelroad.link backslash Esther is where you're going to find that. Hopefully tonight or tomorrow night. I'll announce on social media when it's ready. But it will give you some of the overall themes and some context about uh, and some of the controversy about this book. I promise it will be really helpful in understanding this story. So this week we have the first portion of the book, Esther 1.1 through 2.14, is uh, kind of the covering what we're going to cover this first week. And a lot happens in that time. We're introduced to the Persian kingdom and the Persian king. Queen Vashti is deposed. A search for the new queen begins. I'm compressing a ton of information in there, but that's the section that we're covering today. The events of that opening, that um, the introduction of the Persian Empire, the deposing, and this new search, they didn't happen concurrently. Like, it wasn't this, this, this. There was some time between those events. I'm going to start today with a long passage. It sets the scene for the book and describes the kingdom where the Jews were living in exile. So this is in the exile period where they have been captured, taken away from Jerusalem and Israel and or the kingdoms where they were living and brought into living in exile in a kingdom where they were not, uh, where they didn't belong exactly. So this is Esther 1, 1 through 8, the opening of the book. It says, these events took place during the days of Ahasuerus. Okay, so Briefly interruption. I might say Xerxes, I might say Ahasuerus, it's the same king, who ruled 127 promises, provinces from India to Kush. In those days, King Ahasuerus reigned from his royal throne in the fortress of Susa. He held a feast in the third year of his reign for all his officials and staff, the army of Persia and Media, the nobles, the officials from the provinces. He displayed the glorious wealth of his kingdom and the magnificent splendor of his greatness for a total of 180 days. At the end of this time, the king held a week-long banquet in the garden courtyard of the royal palace for all the people, from the greatest to the least who were present in the fortress of Susa. White and blue linen hangings were fastened with fine, fine white and purple linen cords to silver rods on marble columns. Gold and silver couches were arranged on a mosaic pavement of red feldspar, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in an array of gold goblets, each with a different design. Royal wine flowed freely, according to the king's bounty. The drinking was according to royal decree. There are no restrictions. The king had ordered every wine steward in his household to serve whatever each person wanted. That's the opening setting. I will say a couple of things. Notice that it describes the extravagance of the kingdom. The... Uh, feldspar, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. These are things that usually adorn people. We wear them on rings. We set them in jewelry. They would have been in crowns. Here they are so extravagant that we are walking on them on the floor. 
This was also a three-month party that he gave for his uh, officials and the court and his army. Three-month bout, uh, that, that's a massive party. He was known for his parties, even to the point where Hollywood has uh, occasionally um, referenced in movies that we watch today the magnificence of his and extravagance of his parties. The drinking was according to royal degree that there are no restrictions. It used to be that if everyone in the, in the room had to take a drink when the king drank, you were only allowed to drink when the king drank. This was a king uh, and a culture known for its uh, constant drunkenness. Like this was just a thing in the Persian empire. This was part of their culture. And in this case, he had said, y'all can drink as much as you want whenever you want for this seven days. Um, give everybody as much as they want. They don't have to follow my lead. I'm going to drink as much as I want. Y'all drink as much as you want. So that's kind of the, the, the setting for this occasion. So let's pray. Father, this describes uh, a culture and a setting that was uh, very concerned with things that were beautiful, things that were extravagant, things that were in excess, uh, things that were the um, exemplified material things and power. Like this was a kingdom and this king ruled with so much uh, wealth and power that what he said went. We'll find out later in the book that laws or decrees that he made, uh, he could just speak them, and they were unable to be changed. This was the law, now the law of the land, unable to be changed, uh, affected millions of people. He ruled all the known world at this time, these 170 provinces across the known world, and a culture that was very focused on the display of beauty and power. We live in a culture today, in a kingdom today, that is also very focused on beauty and power, on the accumulation and display of wealth. And like the Jews living in exile, we live in this kingdom that is not necessarily our home. As we walk through this book and we think about this kingdom, I ask, Spirit, that you would show us how this reflects and exemplifies and reminds us of the kingdom that we're in and teaches us how to live in a kingdom like that. Because as we will meet Esther and Mordecai in the, in the weeks to come, and the Jewish people who were living in exile, they lived in the midst of this culture. Not all of them went back to Israel when they had the opportunity. So they lived in the midst of this kingdom, and it's very hard to live in a culture and not be... Yeah, the, the word that comes to mind is corrupted, but that's not exactly the word that I want. Um, our culture makes us. It makes all of us talking to you today. We can't not be affected by our culture. It, it entwines itself into our thoughts and our motives and our goals and our desires in so many different ways. Help us to see that, be more aware of it as we walk into this this month. Help us to see the ways that our culture has taken root in our own hearts. Help us to not be a people driven and focused on power and beauty and wealth and extravagance and material things. Guide us in, in the right focus 
in putting our emphasis and our love in the right place. Amen. All right, so after this, from this point, the story unfolds like this. After three months of partying and a seven-day final bash, the king decides he wants to show off his wife, and he orders Queen Vashti to appear before his group, who has been drinking for three months and now seven days. So she refuses. Now, there's a whole lot that we could jump into there. Um, I've heard it said that he probably... His request was probably for her to appear naked before them, and whatever happens, happens. She was also holding her own bash at this time. She was entertaining her own uh, group, the women, and so she refuses to come for whatever reason. I'm not doing that. Well, the king flies into a rage, and he asks his legal experts and advisors who are all there with him, what do I do with her? And she becomes banished and deposed. I do want to say just because we're only praying the highlights doesn't mean these other parts aren't important. They're only pieces that I've chosen out for whatever reason. We could have chosen any other pieces in this book. So then we come to Esther 2, 1 through 4, the second chapter, and it says, Sometime later, when King Ahasuerus' rage had cooled down, he remembered Vashti, what, he had, what she had done, and what was decided against her. The king's personal attendants suggested... Let a search be made for beautiful young versions for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in each province of his kingdom so that they may gather all the beautiful young versions to the harem at the fortress of Susa. Put them under the supervision of Haggai, the king's Enoch, keeper of the women, and give them the required beauty treatments. Then the young woman who pleases the king will become queen instead of Vashti. This suggestion pleased the king, and he did accordingly. So we have this situation where all of a sudden the king realized, well, I just got rid of my queen. Maybe that wasn't super well thought out. Maybe now I need to replace her. So what, do, what should I do? And his friends around him say, well, you're the king. You can gather all the young, beautiful virgins you want. Try them all out and decide who you want to be queen. I think I get into this a little bit later. So let's table that idea of try them all out until the next set of the next passage. In this case, I want to think about this idea that this this is a king who has shown is shown throughout the first several chapters to be blown by the wind of his advisors. It's really important who we have around us advising us and pointing us in a direction. So let's pray about that. Father, the king cools down and he turns to these people around him and says, what do I do now? How do I replace her? How do I get a new queen? What do I do? I can't, she can't come back. My rule is law. What do I do? And they say, and they propose this solution, which some people have sort of compared to a beauty contest. This was not exactly a beauty contest. And they had also advised him in chapter one of what to do. This is a king or person who is swayed by the uh, advice, quote, wisdom of those around him. We are the same. We ask the people around us for advice. We tend, we often follow it. We are, are led by the people or the influences that we allow ourselves, whether that is uh, the kind of media that we listen to, 
the friends that we allow close to us, the advisors that we hire, all of those people that have influence upon us are really important. Help us to put people and media and friendships in place that will point us toward you, not toward evil. Uh, It's really easy to follow a crowd when we think about peer pressure, but even once we aren't really experiencing peer pressure, how we think of it with young kids, we still feel that way uh, with social pressures, with work pressures, with cultural pressure to act a certain way um, when we're in public and when we are in private. And I I pray that we would learn to... uh, maybe stand up to those pressures if they are leading us astray and to put advisors and influences in place that will turn us toward you, that will turn us, guide us into righteousness, encourage us into relationship with you. Amen. And finally, Esther 2, 12 through 14 says, well, maybe I should say this. He made the decree uh, throughout the kingdom, young women were gathered, uh, taken, and brought to the fortress and put into the harem. Uh, These women were given everything they needed for uh, these beauty treatments for a year. And then let me read the story. During the year before each woman's turn to go to the king Ahasuerus, the harem regulation required her to receive beauty treatments with oil of myrrh for six months and then with perfumes and cosmetics for another six months. When the young woman would go to the king, she was given whatever she requested to take with her from the harem to the palace. She would go in the evening and in the morning she would return to a second harem under the supervision of the king's eunuch, uh, I forgot to check how to pronounce this, Shashkaz, keeper of the concubines. She never went to the king again unless he desired her and summoned her by name. So this is a situation where uh, when we are young in Sunday school or growing up in the church, where often this is compared to the king went out to find his beautiful queen and he, it was this massive beauty pageant. That's not really what happened. Commissioners went out from the king's fortress, from the king's palace, found all of the beautiful young, very young virgins in the kingdom, took them from their home, brought them to the harem, and then uh, separated them from their life, from their family forever. This was uh, not done with their will. They had no uh, in the culture at the time, the young women were probably not going to choose a husband. It was going to be chosen for them. So the idea that they had a choice in the matter probably wouldn't have occurred to them. They didn't have a choice. Um, so now you have the state coming and saying, okay, instead of the life you thought you were going to have, we're going to put you in the harem. A year of preparation, and then they were taken into the king for a night. They would then be moved from the harem, from the virgins, to the concubines. They had now been... Uh, Their status was changed. They were in in with the eunuch, the keeper of the concubines, for the rest of their lives. They would not go back to find other husbands. They were to be there in case the king desired and wanted to use them again. So all that to say, this was not a friendly beauty pageant. This was a taking of women and uh, for the use of the king. 
they would come into the harem, go into the king for one night, and then be sent to the other, the other harem where the concubines were kept. So I want to pray through, I'm not even sure why God had me pull this, this is not a, a set of verses that we read. Usually we're uh, focusing on the idea of Esther being a part of this group. And I think next, I think the rest of the chapter kind of deals with that. So we'll get to that next time. But this is the part that just kept drawing my heart. So let's pray about that. And this finishes out our, our day or our, our session. Father, we have this situation of this massive, powerful state and these vulnerable girls. The word in scripture is taken. This wasn't like a voluntary I get to. And maybe in some ways we could say that they uh, had a, had a, I don't know, I don't, I don't know enough to say better. Certainly they were cared for. Certainly they were pampered. Certainly they were there because they were beautiful. So you have a whole group of beautiful young women who were um, taken from their lives, used for a night, and then sequestered for the rest of their lives. This had to be a lonely, difficult existence, even if there were some things that were probably more easier for them than others. I guess I'm just praying today for, for vulnerable young women in our culture and in cultures across the world who are still used by powerful men and powerful governments in whatever ways, not necessarily just sexual. These were women who were compromised because of their beauty. There are women all over the world who are comp compromised for other things. There are, and, and essentially these are children. These are young women, girls. And I just pray for the protection. I know that your heart Father beats for the vulnerable, children, women, widows, and I pray that you would move in our hearts to evaluate people not based on their beauty, not based on their looks, but based on their heart. I pray that we would see vulnerability and respond out of love, not out of power. I pray for protection for all vulnerable people right now, for women and children who are in compromising situations. And maybe this is, maybe it's because I've been in a compromising situation that this affects me so much. But there are women today, children today who are in danger, immediate danger. And I pray for you to intervene right now. I pray that we would be actors in love, not just passive. Certainly, when we think about what's going on in the Ukraine, there are women and children and citizens who are in active danger right now, and I pray that you would provide protection and a way out. I pray that you would bring amazing, miraculous, um, <laughs> miraculous miracles, miracles to take place that would protect and preserve life. I pray that you would bring healing to those who have been compromised, to those who have experienced abuse or rape or all of the other ways that we can be compromised. Pray that you would put people and situations in place in all of those lives that would give them an opportunity for that healing and for uh, 
relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, that's not at all where I expected that to go today, but that's, that's what happens sometimes. Thank you so much for joining us. If you are watching this broadcast on the Facebook page, we'll be back next week. But you can look for posts each evening with individual passages. If you're joining us by podcast, I'm so grateful that you're in the, there in that media. I would love for you to share the show with a friend if you found it helpful. We're brought to you by Grace in the Gravel Road, and my heart is that as we do this, that we will grow in our prayer lives, that God will use this time to direct your heart in your own circumstances, that he will answer this prayer in mighty ways, but most of all, as always, that we would fall deeper in love with the God who gave us these words. Amen. Amen.